From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your cabin, RV, your taxi, your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto, AM 740 and FM 96.7. Or perhaps you're listening in on the Zoomer Radio app, which is really cool, by the way. It has a real retro feel. As I look at it uh, on my uh, my smartphone, it reminds me of uh, the transistor radio I used to listen to under the bed with the flashlight when I was supposed to be asleep. Uh, it looks... Really cool, as I say. It's a free download, incidentally. Uh, or maybe you're listening in on the Conspiracy Show app. That, too, is a free download. Uh, online at zoomeradio.ca, the podcasts at iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, TalkZone.com. Then, of course, the affiliates down in the U.S. <sighs> However and wherever you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, thank you and welcome. The publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, Joel Skousen is lurking in the shadows and preparing to join us to discuss the Donald Trump phenomenon, uh, and Ben Carson, uh, too, for that matter. Uh, this is the season of the uh, political outsider, to be sure. The more brazen and bold the candidate, the more contentious they are of Washington, the better. Uh, and if the MSM, the mainstream media, is lined up against these politically incorrect candidates, that's even better. Uh, Trump and Carson continue to fascinate uh, the electorate, at least registered Republicans. And we'll get into all of that when Joel Skousen joins us in mere moments. Uh, it's also that time of the month. We're due for another visit from our resident paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, I believe we'll reach her down in Arizona where she's preparing to conduct some research and investigate an old ghost town somewhere in the southwestern desert. Uh, but she's going to talk about a fresh Bigfoot sighting in Virginia. Uh, this one... Uh, a woman claims she saw a female Bigfoot carrying a baby Bigfoot across a lonely stretch of highway. And also, we'll talk about possessed cars. Remember the Stephen King novel turned into a film uh, by uh, Chris Carpenter, I think it was? Christine, about this haunted car? Well, Rosemary has uh, some very similar stories from uh, history. Uh, first order of business, however. Donald Trump and Ben Carson versus... Uh, the U.S. political establishment, uh, Joel Skousen, is with us. He is the editor and publisher of the World Affairs Brief, an alternative news service, and we'll tell you how to subscribe, an alternative news service that is dedicated to exposing the secret machinations of world leaders. Joel Skousen, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I am just fine. It's, uh, the world is changing rapidly, and uh, it's we're working hard to keep up with things, but... Uh, <clears throat> I'm fine, thank you. Well, I've been uh, wanting to speak to you for some time. I'm, I've actually been quite excited about talking, getting a chance to talk to you about uh, this whole uh, uh, primary season. Well, we're not into the primary season yet, but the, the lead up to it. And to me, this is one of potentially one of the most exciting, interesting, bizarre um, uh, election cycles in the history of the United States. And I'm talking, of course, about. Uh, the three front runners for the Republican Party, all outsiders, Trump, uh, Carly Fiorina, and of course, uh, Dr. Ben Carson. And this is, seems to be throwing the Republican establishment, the equestrian class, whatever you want to call them, the unelected oligarchs, uh, into, they're just driving them nuts because they can't get their anointed, uh, anointed uh, establishment candidate, uh, in there. What are your thoughts on, on what you see so far? Well, 
<clears throat> it all started with the uh, the rise of uh, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Those were the early on conservative favorites for the Tea Party. And so the Republican establishment basically induced, uh, you know, about uh, 14 or 15 other candidates to jump in the race. And that's, this is the first time that that's happened, that the Republican establishment has not discouraged but encouraged a flood of candidates. And what this did as a strategy was to dilute the support for the two that they particularly didn't want, Cruz and Rand Paul. Now, even though, uh, you know, Cruz has taken... He's a legitimate conservative. He has been since college. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, he's like Ronald Reagan. He had a history of 20 years of writing conservative causes. This is not a Johnny Come Lately. And Rand Paul, being the son of Ron Paul, is not a Johnny Come Lately to the field as well. Now, um, the establishment, as I said, started to flood the, uh, the, the party with candidates to dilute uh, so that none of these two would come up with anything but uh, sub-10 uh, polling numbers. And then they decided to give a lot of publicity to Donald Trump, who was one of those that took the bug in the ear to jump in the race. And he's been in the race before, like in 2012. But it's interesting to compare the two. In 2012, they didn't give him any attention, hardly at all. And they let him die as quickly as he, as he came in. But this time, they literally hung on every word of Donald Trump, and the reason was because, not because he's an establishment candidate, um, though he has been, you know, all over the map politically. He's been a friend of the Clintons. He's been, uh, you know, a Demo Democrat. He's been for a single-payer health care system. But he certainly understands the driving cause of the conservatives. He's been making all kinds of statements. And the reason I believe the press gave him tremendous press was because he's uncareful. He makes mistakes. He's generally true in his criticisms. But he says them in such an uncareful way, like Mexico is deliberately bringing people across the border, which isn't true. They are facilitating it. They are not rounding up coyotes who facilitate which is the easiest thing in the world, to send in people and, and to pose as refugees and then arrest the coyotes. I mean, you could shut down the coyote immigration system in a month if you wanted to. But it is not true that they are, uh, you know, in Mexican trucks shipping people across the border. So what I'm saying is, is they get Trump to make statements that discredit the view so that they can use him as a whipping boy, as a straw man, if you will, to knock it down. The purpose was is to make sure that none of the other conservative candidates took up those embarrassing statements uh, because they'd already been discredited with Trump. But it but seems it to have backfired. It, yes, indeed. It backfired. Continue. It, yes. it backfired. The people didn't care about the minor errors. They saw the basic issue was as true. The immigration is a problem. They're tired of political correctness. They're tired of, of candidates being, you know, subtly pressured by the media to stay within line and to toe the party line, to be very careful. And Donald Trump is not careful, and people are loving it. Yes, it's, it's about the authenticity, isn't it? About authenticity being unscripted yeah. and not having any ties uh, to uh, to special interest or the establishment or or uh, you know big corporate donors. He's beholden to no one but himself. That's right. Now, Mitt Romney as well was uh, in the previous election cycle had his own money. He wasn't beholden to donors. So he would go out to you know seek campaign financing, but. He was bending over backwards to please the establishment, and conservatives just don't like that. Trump has just thumbed his nose at him, especially Megyn Kelly, the conservative, just 
you know, Richter up the one side, down and the other. And, you know, all of these debates with the media has been uh, posing attack questions rather than the issues uh, has just been an embarrassment. Uh, it's been blatant manipulation. And nobody but Trump simply is fighting back at the media and saying, look, you guys, you're not being honest. This is the way it is. And even though he's uncareful, people don't mind. He likes, they like a straight talker. And it's, it's a great manifestation, Richard, of the fact that we've got a lot of fed-up people in the United States that are just tired of business as usual. And when John Boehner, the Speaker of the House, announced his resignation, there was a resounding cheer that went up across America, uh, conservatives across America. And the establishment is royally embarrassed. They'll give us another John Boehner to replace him. But well, it is exemplifying how dissatisfied conservatives are with the establishment. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief, and we'll tell you how to get uh, a subscription to that uh, wonderful publication in just a few moments. Uh, but am I am I being naive here when I say that that Trump, or whether it, it's uh, uh, you know Trump and Carson or Fiorina or Carson or whomever, uh, has finally managed to smash the grip? Of the um, the uh, the, uh, the equestrian class or the the unelected oligarchs on the on the process. Am I being naive or am I being a, a little uh, uh, a little early in that prediction? Yeah, I think you're a little overly optimistic, and here's why. First of all, we cannot include uh, Carly Fiorina as a non-establishment candidate. Uh, she's got way too much background uh, with the establishment, serving on a. Um, NSA CIA review committee, especially chosen by uh, um, Clayton, uh, and so you know they don't choose people to be on these controlled committees who aren't somewhat predictable to the, ins- the insiders. So I'm not going to include her in my assessment as someone who's. In fact, they have promoted her significantly both in the first debate when she was in the second tier, and in this other debate saying she was the winner of this. I mean, they're clearly promoting, and they don't promote. Uh, ben Carson and Trump, uh, in, a, in that same way, they don't pr- promote Cruz or Rand no. Paul. Although to be fair, Anybody? she although to be fair, Joel, she was very impressive and succinct uh, in in the second yeah, in the she, CNN. Yeah, she debate. she is. But boy, if you if as I covered in my World Affairs brief, if you listen to her talk about the Muslims, I mean, this lady is an off the wall neocon in terms of the uh, you know promoting the the issue of of, uh, you know, Muslim and Hanson. I mean, she talked about Suleiman the Magnificent as if he was some great reformer, some kindly gentleman. I mean, he was a ruthless, bloodthirsty killer. Uh, you know, she's just uh, a real problem in terms of the establishment positions that she has taken. And I think she's carefully taking uh, other positions to match a conservative view at this time. But I don't have any confidence in her, especially someone who is praised as up-and-coming woman executive, you know, women tend to be promoted by the establishment because at the same time they promote women as career and women as leaders, uh, you know, as a cross-conflict with uh, traditional Western values. Not that women can't be leaders. Margaret Thatcher was a, uh, an excellent leader in most regards uh, and really turned around things for a while there in the U.K., uh, but she eventually succumbed to the globalist and betrayed uh, Hong Kong to the Chinese communists, which she didn't have to do. On a human rights basis, she could have refused that to honor that contract of giving it back to China. Right. Do you think, uh, getting back to Trump now, um, 
do you think that if this trend continues, now he did slip a little bit after the CNN debate, but uh, according to other polls, though, he's uh, he's right where he, you know, he was. Uh, do you think at some point, if he continues, and I uh, listen, I, I quite uh, like the man, and I and I like the overarching themes that he's pounding on and bringing certain issues to the fore. But do you think uh, he, he is such a threat to the political establishment, the globalists, and what have you, that uh, something something untoward, underhanded might happen if he's not careful? Yeah, it will have to. Uh, I'll be very frank. You cannot have a president of the United States who refuses to follow his own script, even write his own speech. I mean, he will not, he only wants to speak off the cuff. He won't sit down and, and learn a speech. He won't stick to a script, even his own. You can't have that. I mean, what you say is, is far too important as the president of the United States to be uncareful. And uh, so... He wouldn't be good either for the conservatives or the liberals. I mean, as an example, he took a position on Syria that was absolutely wrong and off the wall. He parroted the establishment leaders and that Assad has to go, that he was guilty of chemical weapons. I mean, he just, he's, he's fairly well informed on some of these others, but completely uninformed about Syria. If he wanted to really rattle the establishment cage, he should have said they falsified the attack against Assad uh, and, and should have defended him and, and struck out against the globalists. So I'm not really enthused about trusting Trump um, to stay with the correct positions. And I think there'll be dirty tricks, whatever it takes, to take him down. Now, as I covered in last week's World Affairs Brief, or the previous one, about the primary system, the Republican establishment has changed the primary system to be able to do tremendous manipulation once they get into that season. Okay, let me just jump in here, uh, Joe. Excuse me, because we're going to take a time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about this, uh, uh, the Republican primary season. And uh, I think they may have something to do with, I think they call them proportionate delegates or something like that. But we'll, right, we'll discuss right. when we get back uh, with the editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Joel Scows. And Joel, before we continue uh, with the uh, the surprise uh, Republican uh, uh, primary season, as we enter into the primary season, let's uh, find out how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief. Well, people can go to my w- website, which is worldaffairsbrief.com. And they can read a summary of the current brief. They can also, as it says at the bottom of that, uh, receive a free sample copy of the current brief by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com, and I'll send out the latest brief to them. I think they'll find it very informative. All right. Um, recent changes to the Republican, uh, the, the primary uh, caucus uh, electoral process. What's changed and um, how are they going to use this? I say they, the the establishment, whether we're talking about the Koch brothers or whomever. How are they going to use this to make sure they get their candidate uh, nominated? Well, it's, it's a little bit complex. I'll try to simplify as much as I can. This started in 2012 when they failed to stop Mitt Romney as an independent candidate with his own money, like Donald Trump. They failed to stop him from getting the nomination. And they had actually, at the national level, make 8 to 10 million votes disappear in order to defeat Romney, which they did. They refused to let someone they don't have dirt on or they don't control in the White House, even if they're bending over backwards trying to please them. 
because somebody with morals will not go along with some of the agenda that they see as president of the United States. Now, one of the first things they did was uh, prompt a lot of the states to, to try to get ahead of Iowa and New Hampshire by moving their primary up. As you know, in the American primary system, which lasts about three months, by the time the first month is through, the candidate is usually surged to the head, and the primaries mean nothing after that. And so other states wanting to get ahead and get in the top third so they can have some influence on it tried to leapfrog over that. Republican National Committee came out and threatened severely any states that, first of all, you can't get in front of New Hampshire and Iowa. And that's because Iowa and New Hampshire are very manipulative states in terms of Republican primaries. One is the Iowa's a caucus state, which really is like a tailgate tailgate party who can ever throw the biggest party gets the most people to come and and, uh, and vote uh, and can usually influence that election. And New Hampshire is extremely all over the map in terms of independence, representing a full third to a half of the voters in New Hampshire. So those are very a lot of swing votes that can be manipulated as well. The second change they made besides restricting and making sure no states could get ahead of those important manipulative primary states, is they said any uh, primaries before March the, uh, 15th has to be proportional representation. Now, this is very strange to analyze because the establishment usually likes winner-take-all because they have normally been able to promote a candidate early, say these are the top-running candidates and get them established early, and so they take all the votes of every primary they win. But... Ever since 2008, when they tried to foist Rudolph Giuliani, conservatives have a, had a fit, and they had to resurrect John McCain from a 2% rating into a higher rating by having six Democratic newspapers uh, endorse it. And this was so highly manipulated in 2008. And they failed again in 2012 to get their establishment candidates in there, uh, Newt Gingrich and others. Uh, and so... Um, they are now worried that we can't get winner-take-all, and we don't want a conservative to get winner-take-all, lest he get ahead so far in the early primaries that we can't stop it. So that's why they suddenly just changed to proportional, meaning that you get the proportion of votes that uh, of delegates that correspond to the votes that you get in the primary. But everything after March 3 is open to being winner-take-all. And especially Florida, they just changed this year to winner-take-all. And that's because George Bush, who their their number one insider candidate, former president or former governor of, of New Jersey, and Jeb Marco Bush, Rubio, Jeb, yes, Jeb Bush. Sorry, I think Jeb you Bush, said George, right? Right. Uh, Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio is also a former senator or a current senator from uh, from Florida, and so that's going to be a one-two punch. Rubio really won't take from Jeb Bush votes; he'll take from other conservatives, and so it will ensure that Jeb Bush gets that now. The, the other rule change is that you have to win eight primary states even to get on the ballot at the Republican National Committee. That eliminates all the small guys, but here's what it does. This is why they bring in John Kasich of Ohio and, and Pataki of New York. They haven't got a chance with the conservatives, but they ensure that those two will lock up all the votes in Ohio, winning a winner-take-all in New York, and then in the convention can give those votes to Jeb Bush. Ah, interesting. So and Jeb you can't Bush, win without Florida and Ohio. That's right. So you see, they can lock up Florida, Ohio, and New York, big delegate votes, and transfer all those to Jeb Bush. So Jeb Bush, with less than 20% support nationwide, can still win the presidential nomination. 
once the primary season starts, and that's why they made all those changes. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we could have a situation where Jeb Bush, who is around what six, seven, eight percent in the polls among right. uh, registered Republicans, could end up getting the nomination. Now, if he doesn't, if somehow. Uh, a Trump or a Fiorina or a, well, you mentioned, you say the establishment would have no problem with Fiorina. Uh, so maybe we'll see them really yeah, start to push. Yeah. Or, uh, but if Trump were to get through, do you see then the, the establishment saying, well, we, we need to run a third party and we'll take, we'll take Hillary or Biden over Trump. So they'll, they'll run a third party candidate, uh, in order to ensure that Trump doesn't get in. Um. You know, that's a hard call to make. Uh, it's very obvious to me at this day, and I've been predicting this for four years, that they don't want Hillary. Um, first of all, Hillary would actually try to run the White House, even though they have plenty of dirt on Hillary, secret bank accounts and all. Um, she would still want to run things. And they kind of like more compliant puppets like Barack Obama and George W. Bush. But it really is time. When you look at the enthusiasm people have for, Ch- for Trump, because they're just tired of political correctness, they're tired of the establishment. And look at the outrage over Boehner. I mean, they really need to give the American people some a, a pill to swallow to make them calm down. You don't do that by giving them Hillary. That yeah. energizes the opposition. You do it by giving them a controlled Republican. And, you know, I'm not sure they couldn't control, uh, you know, Donald Trump. Uh, but I just don't think... You know, that scenario is ever going to come to pass. I, I think that they're going to be able. They're already, every headline almost on Google every day, Donald Trump's number is falling. Donald, you can't pick and choose the polls. Your numbers are falling. The media is just in a mass manipulation mode, and I think it will eventually be effective. But not till the primary season when, in fact, you see you give legitimacy to Bush when he starts winning the Florida primary, gets so many delegates, you get proportional up to that point. And now he's coming up in the race, and people are very much affected by this. Who's the leader, and are you going to go with the leader? Well, but if if they deliver a Jeb Bush to the White House, that's certainly not going to quell the uh, the uh, the anger out there, the uh, almost a revolutionary spirit. Uh, how does that help? Well, it, now, you have to remember that we're talking about the Republicans uh, liable to vote in the primary, which are very much conservative. These are nowhere near a majority of the nation. Once Jeb Bush gets to be with his moderate, middle-of-the-road positions, that will start to take. Remember, he's speaking to the choir right now, to the faithful, and he's lying about his vision. He'll switch positions once he gets the nomination, take a much more moderate point of view, a sure. liberal point of view. And so he won't be, uh, there won't be a rebellion against him. But you've got to remember, the rebellion against the Democrats and Obama and Hillary Clinton is so bad that it would take a miracle, uh, I mean, literally, to elect Hillary Clinton. Oh, I agree. I mean, she has so many strikes against her. There's, of course, the, uh, the, the, the foundation, the Clinton Foundation. The only reason that was thrown out of court was the judge that ruled was one of their appointments. Right. Then you've got the whole, uh, the, apparently there's an arms trader. Um, uh, that uh, is um, going to court uh, relating to arms being run in and out of the diplomatic outpost in Benghazi that could tie back to the State Department giving them him's tacit approval, which is uh, against right. a violation of the law, and Hillary could be wrapped up in that. Then, of course, there's the email thing that won't go away. Now there's some speculation that she may have uh, the, the early stages of multiple sclerosis, 
which may be just her out. I don't know, but uh, I don't I don't see her making it uh, even to the to primary season necessarily. So who do they go for? Biden, Gore? <laughs> no, I don't think they intend to give us a Democrat. I mean, they know the world's had enough, and they need a Republican to one hmm. who will guarantee that he will not uh, uh, take away Obamacare. He will not undo anything of the Obama administration. He will continue the neocon agenda. And George uh, Jeb Bush is the one who's going to do that. So I really think we're going to see a, a strong push through the primary, uh, you know, to get that done. I just I, I think that Hillary will run because they want to defeat her, and they they could have stopped all of these revolution revelations before. They could have stopped that arm trader. They still might, but. Uh, so if I'm hearing you correctly, Joel, you're predicting another Bush in the White House, Jeb Bush. Well, I'm saying that's who they wanted. They actually wanted Chris Christie uh, before Jeb Bush, and he shot himself in the foot over Bridgegate. And, you know, because of his chumminess with Obama and being a Demo- uh, you know, in a Democratic state and the compromise, I mean, he is capable of really energizing. He's a good speaker. Uh, yes. Uh, they, they distrust his obesity. I distrust his obesity. Strong, hard-driving men who have obesity problems also have moral problems. There's a very strong correlation there, and I know he's got a lot of skeletons in his closet. Um, but uh, well, That's interesting. So, let, let, if I could, just take a minute to delve into that. I've not heard that before. There's a correlation between uh, highly driven individuals with an who obesity are who are yeah, obese. Which Wh- means they have very highly selective drive. In other words, they're hard-driving and... and tenacious control when they want to be but uh, when they don't have it in in there just ends up being a correlation with the moral problem pornography immorality other types of things uh, interesting interesting well he is uh, sort of in the the trump mold that he will say he, he he is often unscripted and and says some pretty off-the-cuff uh, uh, controversial things, but he's, I guess, not Trump in that he is very much a part of the uh, the establishment. Yeah, yeah, he is. And uh, he's uh, he's really gone out of his way to fool conservatives in, in New Jersey, and uh, you know, I don't trust him uh, uh, very much. But I, I, you know, even though I don't think that Donald Trump is controlled, uh, he's just not trustworthy as a conservative. He doesn't have a background as a conservative. Uh, He's not reliable in, in terms. Of, he, he just doesn't have the principle base that allows him to, to one, to have confidence that he would follow a pattern once he got to be president. I what, think he could be manipulated. What about Dr. Ben Carson? Now, Ben Carson is a Johnny come lately to the conservative field. Um, you don't get invited to speak at the White House in front of Obama if you've got a strong conservative track record. It just doesn't happen. Although, if you listen to that speech, I mean, I don't think Obama was, <laughs> I don't think Obama was expecting that speech, was he? I mean, he compared Obamacare to slavery, saying. yeah. That's, that's precisely what I'm saying, is that there was no hint to the White House that he was going to throw that bomb. Ah. There was no hint in his background that he had any such feelings. He was an establishment medical doctor and, uh, you know, with a big reputation, but he had no track record of speaking out on conservative causes or even speaking out against the establishment medical system. And so that gave liberals confidence that here's a person who can praise the system. So, predictably then, I mean, he comes out, he, look, uh, he's a fan of my uncle, W. Cleonskousen, he's read most of his books, he's mentioned that publicly. Uh, so, I think he just never articulated his conservative views. I think he's had some for a long time. But he isn't real strong on some of the issues. I mean, he's talked about forced vaccinations. Yes, that's true. That's hot true. point with 
with conservatives. He's not real strong on foreign policy. He, could, he will get trapped into the neocon agenda. But this much I will say, they cannot afford, just as in Romney's case, to have someone who they don't have lots of dirt on, they don't have tight chains on, to allow them into the White House. I'm convinced if Ben Carson won, he'd be just like Romney. He'd see the Benghazi thing going down and a stand-down order to the military not to rescue the ambassador. He'd say, what's going on here? Stop that right now. And you can't have someone who's got moral principles that's going to get in the way of the secret, dark side agendas that's going on in the White House all the time. Oh, that's such a tragedy. So, so <laughs> here we go again. They Nothing. They cannot allow. They cannot allow Ben Carson to get in. Nothing will change. Yeah. All right, uh, Joel. Uh, once again, how can we subscribe to World Affairs Brief? People can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Always a pleasure, Joel. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure here. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Paranormal Investigator, and our Paranormal News Roundup. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a leading expert in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her work is translated into 15 languages. Her current work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, problem hauntings, spirit and entity attachments, the afterlife and spirit communications, psychic skills, dream work for well-being, spiritual growth and development, angels, past and parallel lives, an investigation of unusual paranormal activity. She has worked full-time in the field since 1983. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Well, I'm doing quite well, Richard. I'm enjoying my time in Arizona. I've been out here for an afterlife conference, and I'm going to get to do a little paranormal research in the next few days as well. Excellent. And what are you researching down there in the desert? We're spending a couple of days in Jerome, and that's um, not too far from Sedona, it's a little further north in the mountains. It's an old mining town and heavily, heavily haunted. Ah, well, hopefully you'll uh, capture some interesting uh, EVPs. Are you taking the uh, Frank's box with you? I don't have a ghost box with me, but uh, we'll be doing some old-style investigation. Uh, eyewitness, cameras, digital recorders. Well, good luck, good luck with that, and I, uh, I look forward to hearing the results. I wanted to talk to you about uh, this Virginia woman. Uh, down in Bedford County, in Virginia, who called the uh, the sheriff's office or, uh, or a dispatcher, claiming she saw Bigfoot uh, with a baby along uh, some lonely country uh, route, uh, driving up Route 43, I believe it was. Uh, what, what do you make of this story? It's quite interesting uh, because of the, the detail. And uh, she saw this Bigfoot carrying a baby, and the baby looked exactly like Chewbacca, she said, from Star Wars, and it looked directly at her. Now, there have been other reports of what appeared to be female uh, Bigfoot carrying infants or having some sort of a juvenile in tow. And there have been quite a few sightings in Virginia. I did check into this one to see what kind of activity had been reported in the surrounding area, and it doesn't seem to be like one of the hot zones that gets a lot of reports, but there have been other Bigfoot reports in the area. So as you can imagine, this 
uh, case sets off a big controversy uh, right away in terms of is it authentic or was she imagining things. Uh, it got a lot of attention because she called it into the sheriff's office. And she waited a while to call it in. And uh, so people criticized her for that, that this was an indication it wasn't a real uh, sighting. It might be a hoax. But on the other hand, having dealt with eyewitnesses for so many years, uh, many people will hesitate before they report anything because they're concerned that other people will think they're crazy. Sure. And that's exactly what she said. She said, you know, this, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy. This is real. So she had a very good visual sighting. Uh, many sightings are very vague. They're seen in a, at a distance, whatever it is, mysterious creature or Bigfoot. Uh, they're vague. People have a hard time interpreting what they've seen. She was dead on. She knew what she saw. This was close up. And this was and, um, uh, so, this was late at night, 11.40 p.m. Uh, it happened last month, uh, September 9th. And she said she caught this thing in, in her headlights, this uh, female carrying the, uh, well, she assumed it was a female Bigfoot carrying a, a baby, walked, I guess it crossed the highway uh, or Route 43 in front of her, right? It did, and, you know, that's very peculiar in itself, um, not in a doubtful way, but this is how people often encounter unknown creatures, including Bigfoot. They're out driving late at night on lonely roads, and something crosses the road in front of them. Uh, this happens over and over again. They see it in the headlights. Now, she went back to the area and found footprints. And this is what makes the case even more interesting, because she found these footprints where she saw these two creatures. And she said the uh, footprints were so big that she could put two of her own feet in one of those prints. Hmm. And uh, when she called this into the dispatcher a couple days later, they they sent someone out to investigate the county sheriff's office. They didn't quite know how to uh, to take it. There's an immediate assumption that you know it might have been mistaken for bears. They do send people out to look around, and what are they going to find? These are one-off sightings a lot, so it's not like Bigfoot is sitting around waiting for the sheriff to show up and validate a sighting. Right. Uh, one, of, one of the keys will be, have other people seen uh, these sorts of creatures in the same location? Because there seems to be certain hot zone areas and tracks. Well, it's too bad she didn't have the presence of mind maybe to call the local chapter of the, the Bigfoot uh, uh, field uh, researcher group so that they could go out and you know make some plaster casts or whatever. But as you say, we'll have to uh, watch this story with interest as it develops, if it develops. Uh, we'll take a time out and uh, we'll come back and talk about speed demons, tales of possessed cars with our paranormal investigator researcher, uh, Rosemary Ellen Geiler. The website is visionaryliving.com. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett and we'll be back in just a moment. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley uh, is with us as she joins us uh, at this time of the month, every month, for our Paranormal News Roundup. And um, before we get on to speed demons and tales of possessed cars, I know you're down in uh, Arizona and you're uh, getting ready to investigate a, uh, a ghost town. Uh, but w is, this, is this going to be uh, this research turning up in a, a new book anytime soon? What are you working on these days, Rosemary? Well, I'm always working on multiple projects, and uh, one of the things that, that um, I've been spending a great deal of time on is my concept of the interdimensional Earth, the fact that we share the planet with other beings 
that we encounter in these uh, uh, sightings uh, like we just talked about with the Bigfoot and that these are entities and beings who share the planet with us. And as our consciousness changes, uh, we are going to have more and more encounters. So uh, there are certain hot spots all over the place. And where I'm going later this week, Jerome, Arizona, an old mining town, uh, is one of them where people have a lot of different kinds of encounters. There's residual ghost activity, but there's also UFO activity, mysterious creature activity, and um, we find these things in kind of hot pockets. Well, I think that the Earth of the future is going to be very different, and it's going to be uh, more like um, the scene from the Star Wars and, and the famous bar scene where there are entities from all over the universe uh, gathered together in the bar. And uh, we're going to be living on a planet that's not us uh alone at the top of the uh, sentient food chain. Uh, we're going to be finding ourselves with uh, other sentient and very powerful neighbors that um, we'll be increasingly dealing with. Oh, now that's, now that's interesting. interesting. So is the idea here that the, I guess, the resonant frequency here on Earth uh, is going to change, and so that these interdimensionals, whether we're talking about Bigfoot or maybe even Chubacabra, as I was talking last week with Nick Redfern, all these things that we, we sort of associate with places like the Skinwalker's Ranch, they will become manifest and be visible to everyone as this as the level of vibration changes. This is what I believe is taking place now. We We are already in this transition. And not only that, this is a marriage of the paranormal and the mystical because mystics have talked about this sort of thing for decades, uh, about how consciousness is changing to the point where the body's going to change, but also our awareness of everything else around us is changing. So it's not a new concept by any means, but it's just being reinterpreted in new ways. And a paranormal research feeds directly into that because it is part of this bigger picture. We've always compartmentalized these things, that they are outside of ordinary reality. Well, our ordinary reality in the future is going to be what we call extraordinary reality now. Let's move on and talk about uh, possessed cars. My my only experience in this uh, realm has to do with that uh, that John Carpenter movie. Christine, thank you, Ian, in the other room, my oh, producer. Christine, yes, the Stephen King story. Right now, I just thought that was kind of a uh, you know came out of the uh, the creative mind of Mr. King, but there's actually quite a long history going back to. I mean, as soon as companies started shifting production from bicycles to cars, uh, after the, or even before the, the First World War, this stuff started happening, possessed cars. Tell me about it. A very long history and related to other haunted objects as well. And when you think about it, the car is so important uh, today. And as a symbol, it, it symbolizes the ego. It's how we get around the world. We're, you know, we're so dependent upon them. So uh, cars, just like any other object, can acquire bad energy. They can acquire spirit attachments. And there are so many famous cases of cars that have been involved in horrific accidents and crimes that they then literally become cursed with energy that goes into their parts. And then bad things happen to owners who acquire the cars or even uh, if the cars are dissembled for parts. You acquire the parts, accidents, illness, disasters, death. 
this has been documented so many times. So uh, this is a topic that I have followed for years about how objects can acquire bad energy and spirit attachment that affect people in just a disastrous way. Uh, one of the earliest accounts goes back to uh, 1914, and there was an Austrian company that, again, started off making bicycles, I think, in the sort of the late, mid-19th century, switched over to automobiles, and one of those automobiles ended up being, uh, well, they were passengers in the car, and, of course, this was the royal, uh, a couple of Austria-Hungary, Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand and um, his bride, uh, and, of course, we know how that played out. Uh, that vehicle that they were in, apparently it stalled, uh, which sort of played into the hands of the, uh, the would-be assassin. And then sort of the, the, the car survived and I guess got handed down to various people, but, uh, some, some of that negative energy stuck with the car. Well, it did. And at that particular time, there was a whole lot of attention going on in Europe that war was going to explode at some point. And the assassination of uh, the Archduke Ferdinand and his wife Sophie was the last straw. It really triggered the, the whole conflict. But they were riding in this luxury car, uh, which was called a, uh, I believe it was called a double phaeton. And the company was that made it was the Graf and Stift, uh, Stift Company. Right. And um, it was open. It was a big uh, car that was open. They were riding in the street. Um, the car stalled, as cars did often back then. It stalls in front of a cafe where there's this anarchist inside the cafe, and he sees the car stalled, and he'd probably already been contemplating something like, you know, assassination, that this is uh, the solution to everybody's problems is to get rid of these two. Uh, and he runs out with a gun and kills them both. Uh, I do want to mention that this particular case also has an unusual dream attached to it because there was a, uh, a, a political figure who was associated with uh, the Archduke who on the night before the assassination had an intense lucid dream in which he saw the assassination playing out, but he saw two gunmen, not just one. Ah. And the dream involved also a letter that the Archduke Ferdinand wrote to him, and in the dream he opens it, and the letter says, I regret to inform you of my, uh, my death or my assassination, and it's signed by the Archduke. So this fellow tries to uh, warn the Archduke that he should not be out in an open car. Uh, he's going to be assassinated. He, he never gets word to the Archduke, but this is documented in uh, dream literature. So we have this cursed car then, that it, no matter who owns it, um, misfortune comes to them, and over a course of time, 13 people die in horrible, tragic accidents uh, after they take possession of this car. Wow. Well, the uh, the first to acquire the car was an Austrian general, and he supposedly was driven insane while driving the car. And uh, the car flipped over a number of times and killed people, crushing them to death. The insanity was, was particularly odd. There was uh, another fellow who got it and lost an arm in an accident. People didn't start to think the car was cursed, but they didn't believe it, that they would acquire it to kind of disprove that anything was wrong with it, and then they would have problems. Uh, very interesting that several times the car flipped over, uh, killing people. 
and uh, I do believe that cursed energy does go into this. So you have two violent deaths that occur in this car, and that energy of violent death is literally going into the physical parts of the car. Not to mention, and, uh, Rosemary, not to mention the millions of people who died in the First World War as a result of the, that political assassination. And that uh, you brought up a very good point because that energy feeds into it too. So it, it's like magnified. And all of these tragedies stopped when the car was donated to a museum. So it's when it became uh, disused and and out of um, you know out of commerce, so to speak, uh, then all of these things came to a halt. But my feeling is, if that car ever came out of the museum, if someone decided to uh, acquire it and the museum would release it and they start driving it around again, these bad things would start right up again. I'm just, I'm looking at a photo of Franz Ferdinand's uh, Graf and Stiff uh, double. Fadian on display in the uh, the War Museum in Vienna. It's been there since 1926, beautifully restored. It's a be- it almost looks like something from the Franklin Mint collection you used to see on TV. Uh, have, uh, you must get over there if you haven't been already and, and and check this thing out. Or would you want to? I would want to. Yes, uh, I have not seen this car in person, and uh, I've of course read about it because it's a very famous case. Yes, yeah. uh, but I would like to see it. Just a few minutes uh, yet uh, left, uh, Rosemary. Uh, let me mention again the website, visionaryliving.com. And uh, um, most, if not all, of Rosemary's uh, uh, voluminous work is, is there, all her books and so forth, visionaryliving.com. Uh, perhaps the best known uh, supposed cursed car, of course, belongs. It was a, a Porsche 550 Spider, and that was owned by the American actor James Dean. Uh, which had been christened the Little Bastard, a nickname, I guess, that was uh, sort of emblazoned on the side of the vehicle back in the 1950s. Uh, and we know how that one ended. Uh, Dean was a bit of a speed demon and um, uh, died tragically in the Porsche 550 Spider. but the, the tragedy doesn't end there. Uh, and Dean was at the height of his career when this uh, fatality occurred in 1955. And uh, he was actually... Uh, en route to uh, some sort of car race with his mechanic. Uh, and he was speeding along curvy roads and had a head-on collision uh, where he was killed almost instantly. He was still alive when they pulled him from the wreckage, but he was pronounced dead at the hospital. His mechanic did survive. Uh, he had a broken jaw and, and uh, some other injuries. But um, the car, of course, then became uh, the object of fascination of collectors. And uh, there were bizarre accidents, like um, uh, um, there was a case where somebody who, a a guy who was taking the car to a location, uh, was uh, in an accident. He was thrown from his truck. Uh, He was alive when he hit the pavement, and somehow in some strange way, uh, the little bastard managed to roll off and crush him to death. And uh, there were just very bizarre accidents like that where uh, people had serious injuries uh, after owning or driving the car. Uh, and, some cases, uh, Rosemary, they just... Some cases, they, they would. Uh, it wasn't even the car itself except the engine. They took the engine, put it in another car, and then that car would get into an accident. Um, we are sadly out of time, Rosemary. I wish we uh, we had more, but um, uh, listen, good luck on that investigation in the ghost town. Can't wait to hear more about that. Well, thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure talking with you. All right, Rosemary. Be well. VisionaryLiving.com. 
Back next week with a brand new program. My thanks to Ian Roberts and Albert Vinzel. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Paying off credit cards can get expensive, and it can be an endless hassle to get a loan at a bank, which is why there is now another way to get the money you need at a competitive fixed interest rate without the hassles, fees, and risks. It's called Avant. Your loan through Avant can be approved in minutes, and money can be in your account in as little as one business day. And unlike peer lending sites, there are no costly origination fees for unsecured loans or waiting up to a week for the funds. So if you need a small or substantial loan, go to Avant.com to check your interest rate. We think you're going to like what you see. Right now, Avant will also give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first installment is made on time. To check your rates with no effect on your FICO score and get this special offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 2929 at checkout. That's www.avant.com, promo code 2929. Loans are made by WebBank and affiliates of Avant, Inc. Funds are deposited for delivery next business day if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. FICO is a registered trademark of Fair Isaac Corporation. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details.